This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 82, another Wisdom Wednesday. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello everyone, MC Lobs here and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja Wisdom Wednesday. Thank you so much for your feedback on the previous Wisdom Wednesday where I covered fake news and the war on information and the censorship trend that is accelerating rapidly. There's an information war that's getting really ugly and a war on for your mind and now that you're aware of it, you can protect yourself from this propaganda onslaught. I really appreciate your insight and comments on this as well. One of our listeners shared his view of how he felt that this year through many revealing WikiLeak emails showing a collusion and groups of people and individuals conspiring to try and achieve certain outcomes, the term conspiracy theorist cannot really be used anymore because as WikiLeaks have show now it's not a theory uh there is in fact people conspiring and colluding to achieve certain outcomes and therefore this fake news narrative is pushed because the establishment of media cannot use the term conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorists anymore to discredit certain opinions and information i agree with this listener i think the new term that more properly fits here is conspiracy analysts because uh, obviously we've seen this year through many, many leaks and evidence uh, from leaked information and emails that there's definitely people conspiring to achieve certain outcomes. Now, when you hear terms like truther, by the way, how is seeking or trying to uncover the truth become a bad thing? Um, But anyway, if you hear the term truther or conspiracy theorist, it's just a media outlet that's trying to smear or discredit someone, really. I mean, if the opinion or information that's shared is really crazy, then the court and theater of public opinion will deem it as such. You know, what the establishment media have to realize that they are no longer the gatekeepers of information. And... And all of their tactics, like using terms such as conspiracy theorist or truther or any of this, no longer has uh, that impact that it once had because of the year that we've had. There are also other terms that they use to influence and shape opinion, such as some people say um, or some people have proven. And then they insert their talking point. Another line is it's been discredited. And then after saying it's been discredited, they won't offer any proof of what new facts have been uncovered to discredit the current understanding or the official story. Other terms and tactics are misspoke or misspeak because establishment journalists and politicians don't lie lie anymore. They just misspeak. Um, And then 
regarding finance too, the big banks on Wall Street miss sell their customers. Uh, they don't really uh, harm them purposely or intentionally. They just miss sell them. This is, of course, because they do pay enormous large amount of advertising dollars to the establishment media. Um, and then there's other terms like aggressive sales tactics to win sales contests like we saw in the Wells Fargo scandal that broke out. They're not going to tell you that they committed fraud and identity theft, but that they used aggressive sales tactics in these sales challenges that they have. So it's all very sophisticated public relations and marketing and propaganda. So when you hear terms, and here are some more terms, by the way, that if you hear these terms, your spidey senses really have to kick in um, terms like allegedly believed to be there's a consensus suspected believed to be link potentially could be potentially being and then the word skeptic you know skeptics that's almost like the truth or thing it's apparently bad to be a skeptic of something as well these days especially when it has anything to do with science, you know. Isn't being skeptical and constantly challenging as existing assumptions or findings being part of a scientific researcher? Just a thought that I had. Anyway, let's focus here and stay on track. Just please be aware that you are bombarded daily by propaganda and sophisticated methods of indoctrination and the way to empower yourself is to th see through all of this and try to determine actually information that's important within this enormous uh, field of noise that's being thrown at you every single day. The information war is something that's not visible and might not be something that people have become aware of right away. But also another accelerating trend is the war on cash. And this one might be more obvious and something that more people have realized is a trend in motion and is gaining momentum. And that's the topic of our show today, the war on cash. Cash is no longer king anymore. And there's been a strategic attempt all over the world to start eliminating physical money. And I say strategic because uh, in a number of places, cash is now under attack simultaneously. Hmm, I wonder how that could be. Not just in one country or one region. You know, in 2016, I've seen a war on cash, and I can only see this trend really accelerating into 2017. Many of us, myself included, have already started to use less and less cash because of convenience and reward programs that credit cards offer and so forth. And I have to be honest, like, I don't really carry cash anymore when I go anywhere. I know it's bad, but it's become very convenient to use debit cards and credit cards. Now, if we look at some of the latest developments in the past month, you guys have probably seen in India that the Prime Minister Modi eliminated two of the most uh, used banknotes in India, the 500 and the 1,000 rupee banknotes. and they just declared that it's no longer legal tender. This is the equivalent of the United States banning the $100 and the $50 notes. So 
ATM withdrawals have been limited to 2,000 rupees, and they shut down all the commercial banks in India for a bank holiday on November the 9th. And then Indians have until the end of December to deposit these large bills into commercial banks. And you need to show a government ID to be able to deposit your money. And if the deposit is a sizable amount, you will be investigated further uh, for tax evasion by the Indian authorities. Now, 98% of transactions in India are cash transactions. And eliminating these two banknotes, 86% of the money in circulation basically vanished overnight um, by taking these two large denominated bills out of circulation. The reason that this was done um, and, well, the reason given by the government that this is done is that they want to cut down on tax evasion, financial crimes, terrorism, and corruption, and eliminate the black market and fake money in circulation. Of course, extreme propaganda. You can det- Your spidey senses is probably going off the wall right now. And here's my favorite quote from Prime Minister Modi. The cash economy aids black money, corruption, and makes life difficult for the poor. Oh, yes. You know, the political elite love to take care of the poor. And the poor is always a big concern of these guys. Anyway, social chaos has really emerged because of this in India. One of the listeners of the show actually just traveled through India and he emailed me of how difficult it was to get money anywhere and that every ATM is either empty or there's a line of 100 to 200 people at the ATM as soon as they stock them, and I guess they stock these ATMs daily right now. Two-thirds of India's freight is also moved by trucks. And because of this mess, about 9.3 million trucks have been abandoned by drivers. Indians are also seeing through this nonsense and a ton of the propaganda that's being put out by the government and rioting because they can see that these new anti Cash laws are designed to protect the top tier of the wealthy global elite at the expense of the ordinary person in India. Another country, South Korea, is eliminating coins from circulation, and they're encouraging their citizens to deposit these coins now and change that they have onto T-Money cards, which is electronic travel passes that can be used to pay for taxis, metro, and purchases at convenience stores. According to the Central Bank of Korea, only 20% of transactions in Korea are cash transactions currently, and it also has one of the world's largest credit card ownership rates, about 1.9 per citizen. The Central Bank of Korea also said that it costs them around $40 million per year just in mining costs to mint these coins, and this is without the cost that financial institutions incur to collect, manage, and circulate them. The central bank also said that it costs them more than the coins to make some of them, just like, for instance, in the United States, it costs more than five cents to make a five-cent coin. Government efficiency at its finest year on display. They are pitching the public that it's better for buyers and sellers and businesses and also says that with the informal economy shrinking by taking these coins out of circulation, tax revenues will increase. 
So there, there, there you go. There's a very, very big reason why this is happening right there. Thailand is also eliminating coins from circulation in 2017. Thailand's finance minister is trying to get the country's informal economy on the books and boost tax revenues. They're not even making a secret about this. They've implemented a new online payment scheme called PromPay and are running lotteries where you can win a million baht uh, to switch to an online payment service and conduct transactions online. 80% of the country's transactions are cash and checks currently. In the United States, Larry Summers has called for the elimination of the $100 bill from circulation. That would effectively destroy cash transactions in the United States. And that's, of course, why he's pushing that. Harvard professor, former official and International Monetary Fund and Federal Reserve official Ken Rogoff recently published a book called The Curse of Cash. And Ben Bernanke, the former Fed chair, called it fascinating and an important book. Rogoff also pontificates in this book that the $100 bill and the 500 euro bill is used for drug trade, extortion, bribes, and human trafficking. Simon Black from Sovereign also uh, looked at this comment from Rogoff and uh, wrote an interesting piece just on some facts and statistics to counter this nonsense and propaganda that's being put out. Simon Black writes, My team and I did some research on this and found some rather interesting data. It turns out that the countries with higher denominations of cash actually have much lower crime rates, including rates of organized crime. The research was simple. We looked at the World Economic Forum's competitive rankings that assesses countries' levels of organized crime, as well as the direct business costs of dealing with crime and violence. Switzerland with its 1,000 Swiss franc note, roughly about 1,000 U.S. dollars, was amongst the lowest levels of organized crime in the world, according to the World Economic Forum. Ditto for Singapore, which is a $1,000 Singapore dollar note, about 700 U.S. dollars. Japan has the highest denomination of currency, which is 10,000 yen, worth around about $88 today. Yet Japan also has extremely low crime rates. Same for the United Arab Emirates, whose highest denomination is the 1,000 dirham note, roughly around uh, $272. If you examine countries with very low denominations of cash, the opposite holds true. Crime rates, and in particular organized crime rates, are extremely high. Consider Venezuela, Nigeria, Brazil, South Africa, etc. Organized crime is prevalent, yet each of these has a currency whose maximum denomination is less than roughly around 30 U.S. dollars. Simon Black also wrote about Georgia. It's considered one of the most efficient places to do business with with very low levels of corruption. And the highest denomination note in Georgia is the 500 lorry bill worth around about $200. That's a lot of money in a country where the average wage is a few hundred dollars per month. Compare that to Malaysia or Uzbekistan, two countries where corruption abounds. Malaysia's top cash note 
is 50 ringgit, worth about around about $11. And Uzbekistan's 500 som is worth a paltry $1.57. Bottom line, the political and financial establishments want you to willingly get on board with the idea of abolishing or at least reducing cash. And they're pumping out all sorts of propaganda to do it, trying to get people to equate crime and corruption with high denominations of cash. Simply put, the data doesn't support the assertion. It's just another hoax that will give them more power at the expense of your privacy and freedom. Really thought there was a very, very interesting bit of research done by Simon Black and his team at Sovereign Man. In Spain, the Minister of Finance have announced anticipated measures in order to reduce the use of cash. Spain already banned large euro transactions, anything over 2,500 euros. In Uruguay, the government has announced a mandate that all employers must pay employees electronically via a bank account starting as soon as March in 2017. There is currently a nationwide protest through a strike against this mandate. In Australia, Citicorp announced that it's not handling cash at its branches, and banking executives and analysts from UBS are trying to advocate to eliminate large Aussie dollar bills, saying it will reduce welfare fraud and increase tax revenues. In 2015, Australian bank Westpac published its first free cash report, suggesting that Australia could become cashless by 2022. The Sydney Morning Herald have also published a series of articles since February of this year, some written by Australian officials of the Department of the Treasury, selling the cashless society and saying it's going to save billions of dollars and that moving to a cashless society is the next step for the Aussie dollar. We're also seeing government-orchestrated efforts to discourage the use of cash in Britain and France, Austria and Belgium and a list of other countries. And these tactics range from eliminating some currency to negative interest rates on deposits to assigning fees to cash payments and other similar tactics. In countries like Greece, for instance, they just closed the banks for months and put in place capital controls so that people started moving away from cash. And they, of course, have done a really great job in Nordic countries convincing them to use debit and credit cards instead of cash. In Sweden, more than 900 of the 1,600 banking branches don't hold cash or even take cash deposits anymore, and only 2% of all transactions are cash, according to the central bank in Sweden, the Riksbank. Sweden is predicted to be completely cashless in five years, and Norway's biggest bank has also called for a cashless society. In China, the move to digital transactions have been sold as really cool and trendy, and non-cash payments have been growing by 40% per year, and that's moved China into fourth place in the world for non-cash payments after the United States, Europe, and Brazil. Then there's also the emergence and growing popularity of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and blockchain technology. And we've covered that in previous episodes on this podcast. And we've also shared that blockchain technology, um, to just explain that briefly, a block is a record of transaction. 
between two parties that is permanently stored in a database. And then the chain consists out of a series of transactions stored in the order that they occurred. Blockchain technology is a game changer. And this technology is starting to be looked at as an option by across many different industries, especially by big banks and financial institutions to manage and settle transactions. And even the World Economic Forum is predicting that blockchain technology will have a central role in the global financial system in the near future. There's approximately $20 billion traded inside these chains already, and it is increasing. So why is there a push for a cashless global society? Well, if you eliminate cash and everybody is moved towards uh, digital money, Big Brother governments will know everything about every transaction that you've done. They will know your purchasing behavior. They can create profiles about consumers. And then also um, your political and social history will be pretty much out there. And they can put together algorithms and models to determine and predict your behavior. And if you can predict someone's behavior, you can control them better. They already do a lot of this, but this will just take it to the next level on even a bigger, bigger scale. Once all of the money is also digital, taxes could be collected easier and fees can be added to your account easier and penalties could be applied easier. This will make it much easier for uh, banks to charge you all these fees and fees and penalties and then for the government obviously to determine exactly how much taxes you owe we've recently seen that um governments for instance here in the united states are even going after digital cryptocurrency exchanges like coinbase where the irs in the united states have gone after them uh, asking for the last three years of transactions. And what stands in the way of a cashless world? In countries with very large populations of poor people that relies on cash work and where people don't have bank accounts, it's going to be a lot harder. But in Africa, for instance, the growth of smartphone usage is through the roof and many people with less favorable economic standing and backgrounds are already even sending and receiving money online through smartphones. We've mentioned already that um, the messaging and the propaganda from governments and corporations is already increasing as well as we can see in, uh, in a lot of the media sources that are out there that puts cash in a negative light and the use of cash in a negative light. So I can see this accelerating too with uh, the, the hard sell really going to start in 2017. And you can also bet your digital dollar on it that they'll go after owners of gold and silver as well with the same targeted messaging and propaganda because, of course, gold and silver is outside of the system as well, just as cash would be in this case. Now, as I've mentioned before, my view on this is it's all about consolidating power and centralizing power in the hands of fewer people. And 
This is what a lot of movements like Brexit, uh, President-elect Trump's victory in the 2016 U.S. election, the five-star movement and uh, the result of the referendum uh, last weekend in Italy, the growth of the popularity of the Pirate Party in Iceland, and other similar movements and cryptocurrency movements are all about. They're pushing back against centralization and consolidation of power uh, of the global elites and the establishment. According to a financial elite insider, Jim Rickards, who I follow, um, he puts out fantastic information for listeners out there that's interested. He talks about global taxation and a one-world global currency being the main and end goal here. According to Rickards, there's already a plan for global taxation. It's called Base Erosion and Profit Sharing, BEPS. The project is handled by the OECD and the G20 with the International Monetary Fund for Support. And they already have an entire website dedicated to this. So if you're interested in further research, I'll put a link to this website in the show notes. According to Rickards, climate change also comes into play here as well, because when you talk about global taxation and a global currency, whether you believe or do not believe in global warming and climate change, it transcends national borders. And if you have a global problem, you can offer global solutions. So it's a very interesting take on that as well. Um, He shares that a global tax plan to pay for the global climate change infrastructure with a global currency is the end game. And this is becoming more and more obvious with all the changes to the global financial system. The Hegelian dialect consists out of problem, reaction, solution. And it's a three-step process of how to get an agenda pushed through that you wish to implement. The first step is is that you have to identify a problem or create a problem and then push heavy propaganda uh, around this problem to move on to step two, to create a reaction from people and have them emotionally get involved in this. And then once you have the reaction that, that you want to get from the people, You can then move on to step three and offer the people the solution of what you had in mind all along. So definitely watch this trend and educate yourself of how to protect and grow your wealth in this environment. I think it's extremely crucial to learn and understand how you can build wealth outside of this broken predatory system. Please let me know what you think of today's episode. You can email me at info at cashflowninja.com and also tweet me on Twitter at MCLobsher. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com and you can also do so by texting CashflowNinja, one word, all capitalized, to 44222. That's two fours and three twos. If you like these episodes and our show and appreciate what we're trying to build here, Please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with your family and friends and network. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cash Flow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher. 
the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.